You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there, I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is another show recorded live at the Gilded Balloon as part of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 2012. This is Rod Gilbert. Hello, hello. Have a seat. Do that showbiz meet. Yeah, man. It's well. My favourite bit is when they walk out at the end. We sit here and pretend to be chatting, even though we're like, you know, oh, as, really? they, as they leave. Yeah, which we'll get to that. We've been running a little you bit. Shuffle late. your papers, do you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a bit of paper Hello. shuffling. Hello. I'm hungover. You probably are too. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming. I didn't have a chance to say before. Do feel free to take the mic out of the. Uh, the I was told. I was briefed. You were. You were briefed. Oh, that's fine. Yes. Who the hell briefed you? Uh, I, the lady at the back whose name I didn't catch. Oh, Misha. Nice one. Misha, Round of applause for Misha, our technical support person. Right. She did say the briefing, the briefing that you were supposed to have that you didn't get was, if you want to take the mic out, you can. That's it. That's the briefing. That's the brief for this show. There we are. Yeah, nailed it. That's it. That's it. It's, it's dead simple. It's going to uh, run like clockwork. Mm. So, um, we'll get stuck straight in. There's no real need to introduce you. Everyone knows who you are. Has anyone here never seen or heard of Rod Gilbert before? I'm so glad that you didn't all go, yes, the flyer was very good and we don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah. um, I think we'll just leap straight in. I was told, right. Rod, several yeah. years ago, and by yeah. whom I'm afraid I can't remember, that your writing system was that you would write for two hours a day, every right. already, day. Already, already, already re- you've gone wrong. Regardless, <laughs> let, me, let me finish the thing. And no, I'll, no, I can't, I can't let the word writing system go. Okay, all right, no, 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 okay. This is a frequently... Uh, there, is, there ain't no system. <laughs> <laughs> this is frequently a thing with my guests, is that people, uh, a lot of comedians I speak to don't feel that they have any kind of system or methodology or anything. Yeah. Some of them, that turns out to be true. The vast majority of them, they turn out to be doing things just naturally as they regard it, that that's how it's done, okay. that the rest of us wouldn't think of. Right. I'm looking in your eyes and well, I'm Well, I'm quite realizing... frightened. I realise that this is more like therapy now. Where I'm... Yeah. <laughs> so I might come away realising I do have a system that I didn't even know about. Yeah, that's, that's right. often what happens. Okay. But, but if that doesn't happen, that's good too. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so this, this person told me you wrote for two hours a day, every day, regardless of where you were in the world. Right. Is that completely mythical? Has that been made up? Absolute bullshit. Okay. <laughs> Absolute rubbish, yeah. Don't know where that came from. Okay. No. Um, I do not write for any set period of time on any set day. Or okay. Any, or any day. I don't even write every day. Right. Okay, good. Uh, well, it no, started happened. well, wait, wait, ladies and gentlemen. I, I don't know how much you want me to say. I mean, I can keep talking as long as you... I don't know how much you want me to say. I, I, no, I don't. I don't, as far as I know, don't have a system. I've never once set my alarm to get up and write. I have okay. never once 
uh, written late into the night. I've never burnt the candle at both ends, you know, trying to get a show done, writing late and getting up the next morning. I've never done that. How I, have you not done that? You're, I, I think. Ne- well, I don't know. I think the reason that this, the only reason I asked that is that when I heard that uh, now spurious tale, about, and I heard a similar thing about Josh Widdicombe. Yeah, they quite old, often I think they're about somebody else that somebody else has got some, you know, yeah, name, yeah, a, yeah. a name gets uh, mixed up and then it's about well, you. Well, quite, yeah. quite possibly. But I think because your, your work is so, and I've seen your show this year, which if you haven't seen, is it still running? You're, you're still... Mm. You're still here. Um, it's a fantastic show this year, as ever. Um, it's uh, there's a thing happening now. I thought in that was a very genteel somebody rushing the stage, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was lovely there is that the mic has been moved. Bloody hell, that is really close. That. Yeah. The mic has been moved, and Rod has moved his head back accordingly. So. <laughs> well, yeah. This is a. <laughs> this is more like a salt. <laughs> Feels very odd. I've never had a microphone quite this close. I don't think. Yeah, they're uh, they're not very good. So, it's uh, <laughs> not very good. All right. Okay. Um, so, what the hell was I talking about? So, yes. Yeah, so, um, That's wrong. the reason that I thought it was probably true is that your stuff seems very densely written. Your stuff has your material is kind of. I mean, is it is it scripted? Would you say? Do you say the, exactly the same thing every night? It's a hundred percent scripted. Okay. And well, no, a show in a show, I will hope to improvise a bit and mess around a bit. Okay. Less in Edinburgh because it's an hour show, but this hour show I'm doing in Edinburgh has been cut down from a two and a half hour tour show. Yeah, of course. So I've had to edit two and a half hours down to one hour. So there's no time for okay. any, any improvised messing about. And you work that um, way round. You start writing the two hour show and then do a version of it in Edinburgh. I mean, it's presumably... I do now because uh, in the old days. Uh, I would write for Edinburgh. I prepared a new show for Edinburgh Festival, so I would write an hour show. Okay. And then when I took it on tour afterwards, it would sort of grow and expand into a longer sure. uh, sort of uh, thing. But this time, I didn't write it for Edinburgh. I wrote it for a tour. Okay. So I wrote a sort of two, two and a half hour show, and then I'm 60 dates into a tour. So I've brought it to Edinburgh halfway through a tour. So I've got to okay. drop it down to an hour. Two days after Edinburgh, or next Wednesday, I think I'm in Aberdeen. It'll be two and a half hours again. Good God. So I've got to get, get it back up to... Okay. And what... Just, let, yeah. Well, let's go back to the beginning then. So when you started writing comedy... When, I should, when, I should when point out start? that it's changed... My writing thing has changed completely since I started. Sure. Totally, totally completely. Changed. Okay. Well, let's well, describe it then, and then we'll work through to how, how it mm. is now. So how did, you, how did you used to write? When did you start? When did you start doing stuff? Uh, I started stand-up in 2002, and... Uh, then, when I wrote, I would write, you have, you've got a, you've got a five minute set, mm-hmm. haven't you? That's how you start, generally. Mm-hmm. You go to a club, you do five minutes. And then, uh, you kind of think, right, I've got a, the next step is that somebody, hopefully, if that goes well enough, somebody says, hey, you're awesome, do you want to do seven minutes? <laughs> and, <laughs> Me? Really? Seven <laughs> minutes? Are you sure? And you do it, because you do, you kind of go, God, I, well, I'm not sure if I could do it, I've got five, but... I can remember thinking, how am I going to get seven minutes? Yeah, absolutely. And right. at that and time, that was in you, 2002, you yeah. looked at people who were doing hours at Edinburgh, and I remember thinking, how is that well, possible? That, how that could was, you ever do it? That was Man on the Moon stuff, yeah. That was yeah. crazy. I can remember thinking, how am I going to get seven? Then I can remember that sort of... So I would, every night, I would... Every night then, probably, because I was working full-time as well, like 60 hours a week. Okay. But every, I would get home and just try, at some point in the evening, to try and write a gag or to try and write another line onto mm-hmm. the set I had or a couple of lines okay. and then the next gig that I had I would try out the set that five minutes but plus the couple of new lines that I'd written and maybe one of them would work maybe one wouldn't so you'd maybe get to six minutes and so was it but it was always for you it was that same five that then would the, be added to it you weren't kind of you didn't have a couple of different fives that you sort oh, of I might, improvised I, no, your way I think, through I think mine was always been pretty much like that just it was I think it was pretty much like that a five uh 
and then maybe if I wrote a good gag or one little bit, you know, a minute and mm-hmm. a half or something, or a minute, or th- or, then I might drop out a bit, something else and put that in. So it started to evolve and change a bit. But, okay. but it was more, really, just growing it five to seven. And I can, and I can remember when I got first off, off of my ten minutes, and I just thought, I don't know, I really, that's, you know, I've got, at a push, I've got six and a half. <laughs> but some people are now offering you tens, and you're going, you know, I'm, I'm padding now. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm really I'm padding this I'm spending a long time over saying I'm hello. This. Some of this stuff isn't good enough, uh, yeah. but I'm padding it out, you know, but I'm getting there just about getting to ten. Um, and what was... And what? so on, and it just went like so on and so on and so on. I can remember going to Brighton Comedia for my first ever 20. Okay. And coming off stage, and my girlfriend actually saying, you've got 16. <laughs> you haven't got 20 it's not good enough you know and I can remember that was the same every time right the way up to the hour show and then, and wow. I still feel exactly like that today so when you well let, what was the what was the content of that five that first five did that become the uh, the, the first routine I saw you do at the comedy store years ago was mm. the uh, the baggage handling routine mm. with the prop was that no, late we're on? going back years before that okay that was 2005 okay uh, this is 2002 2002 and three were when I sort of got a, uh, a solid 10, 15 minutes together. And those mm. are the ones that... It was very, very surreal. Uh, very deadpan, believe okay. it or not. It was very quiet. Uh, my delivery would be more like this. Okay. And then... To try and get some extra minutes line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It just suited the material. It was totally... I don't know if... Did anybody see that sort of stuff back at that stage? I doubt if any of you... A few of you did, you. It was totally, totally different to what I do now. I was very quiet, very just sort of dropping a line out every now and again, pausing, very quiet, mm-hmm. very sort of whimsical, mm-hmm. gentle. And what total opposite of what I do now. And why did that change? What was the point at which you felt that oh, started? That didn't to change. change. I mean, my first Edinburgh show was like that in two thousand and five. Okay. My first Edinburgh show was was quite was like that. The luggage handle routine was first written in that style. If you look on YouTube, you'll see it performed in. Montreal Comedy Festival in that very deadpan, quiet, okay. sort of whimsical way. Sure. And then if you look on YouTube, you also see it performed in Australia as a right, you know, raving lunatic. <laughs> same so what, same what, routine. So what was the... So using that routine then as a model, at what yeah. point did you start speeding up and becoming a raving lunatic and why? What was the, what think, was the thinking um, behind that? I don't, I, don't, I don't quite know why, how it happened. It happened very kind of, you know, that organically, that word, but it was... Um, it was in 2005 that that change happened and it was after my first Edinburgh show which was very quiet and whimsical and surreal and deadpan and mm-hmm. about a little invented village and invented family and sure. all stories. Um, and then, do you know, I think, I think I just started A, getting a bit bored of this character I was doing on stage. I wanted to break free of that mm-hmm. constraint of, you know, of be, and, and, and wanting to relax more and just be myself more. And I, and I started doing that um, and I think what I've re- only very recently worked out really is that, that the person I am is that person you see on stage. That, and that's what this show I'm doing now is about. Yeah. It's about how actually now, after 10 years, not after 10 years, in 2005 I started to be getting angry on stage and ranting about things and stuff. And that's pretty much what I'm like. Sure. You know, so, so that, but I didn't really realise, I've always thought it was a character and a thing, another character kind of thing. And, but it's, I've realised in the last year or two really there's not a character that is what I'm like sure. I've been like this all my life so did it did uh, it start off feeling like if you say it was a character that, that process that some comedians might call finding your voice yeah this is or, all finding your voice stuff yeah. sure sure so that so you started off writing what you thought your voice was f- to be that character and then the kind of structures or the scaffolding fell away and you went no that, that actually is that's the voice um, 
I think I, I just started to relax on stage, started to be more me on stage. And, and, and that was a, pro, a, a thought that I had in my head at the time. I can remember mm. being in Australia, I can remember being in Sydney Comedy Festival, I can remember thinking, oh, this is exciting, I'm starting to break out of this quiet, deadpan, surreal, and, and starting to become myself and relax uh, and interacting more with the audience. And this is really exciting, that was really exciting. And then I sort of forgot that thought mm -hmm. uh, about becoming myself and this sort of started writing this ranting kind of stuff. And I didn't really think about my delivery and what it was and finding my voice and whether it was me or not. I don't think, until fairly recently. Okay. I just kind of went with that, became that kind of ranting person. And, but if you'd asked me, I think I would have thought it was a character, really. And I think, you know, I'd have said, I'm not like that in real life. But I've realised that I totally am. <laughs> you know? And I've always known it. I've always, you know, everyone in my life has always called me the pettiest, most contrary, most argumentative. Sure. If you ask Greg Davis, he, he, he's one of the few people in my life who finds it quite charming. <laughs> uh, He's uh, everyone else, pretty much. I just, you know, I, I will argue with everyone. I mean, I'm not, not in the way that I am on stage. That's me taking comedic license with it, and that's me allowing myself to get as outwardly wound up as I am inwardly a lot of the time. Sure. So I inwardly, I'm like that in real life, but I just suppress it a, a bit. But Greg, okay. Greg, I mean, Greg will just, he'll tell you, you know, he just, I'll disagree with everything anyone says just for the sake of disagree. I just can't help it. I just, you know, it's something to do with my upbringing and family and... But uh, if I, he, you know, he's, he always says, he goes, oh, there goes Rod, arguing about something he doesn't believe in again. That's <laughs> How quaint. <laughs> so, so what's the relationship then between this very densely written stuff, where it went mm. from a five, six, seven, and, and went like that, when you started to be more yourself, mm. did the way in which you wrote change? Were you improvising more on stage, or was it still following that very predetermined... Still, I, I, I've never been one to write on stage, especially. Uh, I know some people do. They kind of have sort of ideas that they'll take onto the stage and then let the writing detail of the writing sort of happen mm -hmm. in the moment on stage I don't mine's written you know I can show you every single thing I've ever said on stage is written down on this on my laptop so hello there from Adelaide uh, I hope you're coping with the weather wherever you are I'm getting quite good at hiding from the sun behind trees and lampposts and other people and so on so this is Rod We've got loads of great stuff on Rod's process here. Some very specific information about how he writes and how he doesn't, as you'll already have heard. Uh, and there's a couple of very interesting revelations coming up later on, which may be public knowledge by now, I'm not sure, so listen out for those. I'm not going to say too much else about this episode, I'll let it speak for itself. Uh, Admin-wise, I was going to give another few honourable mentions in the Funny For No Money stakes, but my internet access is a little bit limited at the moment, so I'm afraid I don't quite have the facility to do that. It's a bit patchy, hopefully we'll sort that out soon. Uh, and I'm away now on the road for the next few months, but I'll be chucking these episodes out as I go uh, and trying to do interviews with people in Australia and later on in New Zealand in a couple of months. As always, you can tweet at ComComPod, and hello to everyone who's done that recently. I try to get back to everybody's tweets, although sometimes the system does elude me, I'm afraid. It's not very organised. Uh, I definitely, however, get back to everybody who emails on info at comedianscomedian.com, even though it sometimes takes me a little while. But thanks to everyone who's written in in support of the show. In particular, I've had several comics and civilians alike uh, writing in with reference to Terry Alderton's show and their own mental health issues of one sort or another. So I'm very grateful to you. Thank you for writing in. Um, I've had some very inspiring emails, actually, about people's courage in the face of some fairly shitty challenges with their heads. Uh, I hope if we can all feel a bit more free to discuss it when our heads get jammed with slop, as they say, uh, then we can all start getting to grips with it all the sooner. Uh, 
That's it for now. Anyway, there's some great stuff coming up here, so let's get stuck back in. This is Rod Gilbert. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's let's talk a bit about the. Although this uh, this system might not be the case, or there might not be a system, what's the environment in which you work? Uh, well, it's most of the time uh, now. Certainly, laptop, it used to be notebooks. I used, I've got you know I've got sort of dozens of full mm. uh, notebooks with sort of crossings out once I've sort of tried something and got it in, got it down really. Um, do you ever do you ever find yourself kind of looking back romantically at the notebooks? I know whenever I'm writing, whenever I'm filling notebooks, or have done over the last seven years, I've uh, I've sort of imagined in the future I might come back to them and find some <laughs> nuggets of something brilliant that I hadn't seen before. Does that does that ever yeah. actually happen? I mean, it sounds like you're quite methodical, and you go, nope, doesn't work, and it's gone forever. Yeah, that well. No, it does happen, but not quite in the the uh, calm and poetic way that you describe. <laughs> when you say, I sometimes say, I look back at them, and maybe there'll be some nugget. I'm more like, fuck, there's got to be some fucking. Yeah. <laughs> I've written that all those years. There's got to be something I haven't used. Come on, you bastards! You know, it's more like, it's more like that. It's more okay. of a frantic. It's got to be something. It's like looking for your keys, like you know. Yeah. Okay. It's more. Like, okay. There must be something. I something in there. Sure. So, so ten the, books full of stuff, and it can't be. There must be some idea in there. So I'm sort of, you know, raiding it more than. Uh, sure. I mean, it's interesting. That kind of seems to show the, uh, you know, there's always the analogy of the swan. Like all the work is going on beneath the surface. Because mm. obviously, the, the the Rod Gilbert that we see, like a lot of comedians we see, is assured, and you know what you're going to say. And it's one of the things I suppose I noticed becoming a comedian is it's a surprise to hear. Uh, before one is a comedian oneself, it's a surprise to hear that there's that kind of panic behind the scenes. Mm. Because what we see is so kind of thought out. Thought yeah, you don't want to rehearsed. think of comedians panicking. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, exactly. Just, uh, you know. I remember I was on a, I was on a, a tube train with a, a girl at uh, Heathrow Airport, and she worked at the airport. We got chatting on the tube back. And she was saying, uh, she was a huge fan of Ricky Gervais, and she was saying very confidently, oh, every time, every time you see Ricky Gervais, you know, you keep thinking, you're just going to run out of things to say. But he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I just, I, I really hate to spoil this for you, but every yeah. word of that would have been written and rehearsed and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah. We don't really get to, to see that. So it's fascinating to hear that you... Did you spoil it for her, yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Good. <laughs> Ruin that right away. Shatter her dreams. Yeah, too right. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so in, in your case, it's quite a surprise to hear that you would be panically 
you know, you'd be panicking looking for yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, maybe that's a bit strong, but I, I don't know. I um, certainly now the environment. That's about the environment. Now it's a laptop. Uh, you know, it's in a, a room that is sort of kind of loosely designated a study. Okay. Uh, and I'll try and write in there, but it's 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 changed totally. You know, back back in the day, I mean, the time I was talking about then, I wrote every day. I was working full time, but every day in the office or something, I would try and sneak a few minutes here and there just to try and add a line to this five minute, th- to this lump of clay. I was just mm. adding a little lump, a little bit, a little bit, another line, another joke, add in, add in, add in, add in every day. Now, I, I probably haven't written a word for five months, six months. A okay. single word for the last six months. Okay. So when describe your year then in terms of when you're putting a show together. When does that... How long before the first date of the tour does the process start? Um, in this case, it started... Uh, I started writing this show in... Uh, what year is it? <laughs> it's currently 2012. 2012. So it would have been... I can't even work it out. Okay. But when was the first Machansleth Comedy Festival? It was then. It was three this year, so 2010. 2010, so was it? In end of March, was it? Early April 2010? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. yeah, I started writing it. Well, I started writing it in March. Uh, I started writing in March, and I did an hour and a half for the Machansleth Comedy okay. Festival. I think it was on the last night of March, so it was four weeks of uh, bashing away. Okay, so it was this year's... McCuncliffe. No, uh, 2010, that would have been. No. 2011. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's good that we've got a nerd in the audience. I would say, basically, with this one, broadly, I did a, just to start us off, I did a month of bashing away, you know, and trying to, every idea that I uh, was knocking around in my head, because I don't really write okay. things down anymore. Sure. I haven't written, I haven't written. So you don't down. keep notes along the way? I don't do anything now. Okay. I, I, I haven't written a single word. <laughs> in the last six months about anything okay but I'll know that there'll be 200 things in there somewhere sure rattling around that when I sit down to write in six months time some of them will come to the surface and I'll go from there that sounds like an incredible way to, to do it so as to not have to spend your whole time writing and doing this setting an alarm yeah. clock in order to write so what's that I mean do you go is that just in your house that's in your flat your loosely designated office yeah for a month you go right I'm cancelling everything do you, do you gig, no, no, do you gig during that time no I probably wouldn't be gigging that time so, okay. so this time coming up now when I start it'll be February or something next year when I will mm. do that, start to do that again I'll sit down again and start and just start writing you know from pretty much from scratch there's a, there's a few ideas that I've sort of used that I may have written for TV or radio that I think I can I can build those into a much bigger stand up okay. thing and develop them so I'll so I'll get those from their file where they're in and I'll put them in my new show file and I'll start writing from that you know and just go from there okay and then the ideas things that are knocking around in my head somewhere I know they'll come to the surface at some point sure they're all in there so I just don't write them down, which is probably unusual, I imagine. Yeah, it is fairly unusual. I think most I think people most have people brought with them notebooks. Idea, write it down because you'll forget it. Panic station. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I just think if I forget it, then it's probably not very good. <laughs> okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, uh, so let's talk about the the content of your shows now. If you, well, you started off all these years ago writing the sort of surreal things, and then more and more you're writing about uh, the truth of how you see the world. Mm. And also, there's a lot of autobiography in your show, like last year's show, the Anger Management show, mm. um, or well, not even last year's, before that. Mm. But um, there's, you're, you're dealing with a lot of the things that are going on in your life at the moment. Mm. So with, with, for example, the award-winning Mince Pie show, mm. 
something I was, I was listening to again recently, and I was wondering how much of that, it's all presented as truth. Yeah. Isn't it? It's all presented as this is a, every, every part of this happened. Yeah. Right down to the conversations you, have you had with people. If you, I know. Start, if you start off telling an audience this is all lies, they just don't invest in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. I, I was wondering what's the relationship there? Like how much of it, uh, how much of it is actual, factually true, and how much of it is true but bodged oh, in no, from a different event? Now, now you're asking to... Uh, or are you not... Are you, uh, well... Would you rather not say? I mean, that's an answer in it's itself. It's sort of... Yeah, I think I would rather not... I'd rather talk about why I, I would r rather probably not say because sure. this is kind of what I do and I, and I think people I think from what I've read from stuff the, the vibe I get is that people sort of quite like the fact that they don't know what's true and what's not and I, and I yeah. think that's a nice thing to sure to keep to maintain you know rather than going well that was true this is true what I've always said is that my stuff's 100% true and 100% lies and that's probably not very helpful yeah um, <laughs> it's, I think take the details of what I'm saying with a pinch of salt mm -hmm. but the emotion beneath it all is sort of true so that, so that it's, it's, it's all kind of true but all the details might be totally made up okay Okay. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, this is that's something Josh Whittaker yeah, so said on the show. Is it? All right. Yeah, where he said that is you know it's not necessarily true, but as long as it illuminates a broader truth, right. then it's true. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it seems as good a way of dealing with that as any. Yeah, that's a far better way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> Might borrow that. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> That process by which you're now writing for a two-hour show, mm. do your lines accrete around the same existing jokes in the same way as they did back then with like adding one more line at a time? Do you no. kind of go, okay, no. so you, you kind of go, this is the idea, and what's the structure there? Do you try and unpack it? Do you ever draw spider diagrams or anything like that, or is it just kind of monologue? Uh, what's the, what's the time a lot, of writing? A lot of questions in there. Well, there, there was there was lots of half uh, questions. Pick one yeah. of them. And <laughs> yeah, imagine yeah. that was the question. Well, in the old days, it was broadly that I had a little bit of clay, and I would just add a tiny little bit more clay to try mm -hmm. and build this bit of clay about that. Whereas now, I just get a shitload of clay, <laughs> slam it all down, and in a, over a period of about a month, and then over a period of a year, I will not add much to that lump of clay in terms of new routines and things. Okay. It'll be more shaping that into something. Okay. So the next year will be, you know, I don't know where this clay analogy is going, but <laughs> you know, sitting at the potter's wheel and moulding it into something and then glazing it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> putting it on a shelf and flogging it. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, I will, I will, I've got this, so I've got two hours sort of lump of stuff uh, and then broadly I will spend, the, you know, I will, when I can, I will go out and try it out uh, I don't do, I think this is unusual, I do mm -hmm. not ever go anywhere and say, like I heard your Sarah Millican one, for example, I know that what she does mm -hmm. is she'll drop into comedy clubs and say, can I do a five-minute spot, can I do a ten-minute spot, I've got some new stuff to try out. And I think that is the way everyone does it. Yeah. I don't uh, ever do that. I've never done that once. I go out and say, can I go on for an hour, an hour and a half, or two hours, and just do all this stuff and I go to pubs in the Midlands or wherever I go mm -hmm. got a few promoters that I get on well with that I know run nice little rooms tiny little rooms and I'll do a whole show sure. uh, of new stuff there and then I'll do that probably 50 times mm -hmm. before I start a tour okay so I'll do that and then the rooms will get bigger and bigger and bigger to try you know and uh, as it gets better but then it's just a honing 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 getting rid of stuff some new stuff will come in but most of it really will be just honing, slightly expanding, improving. Whatever. Sure. And do you, um, 
Just while we're on the subject of that new stuff, that's interesting. Something I've found uh, writing the last two years' shows that I've written, I, I really found that um, I felt like I kind of had too much on my plate. I had lots of little bits, that none of which were ready. So it's quite interesting to hear you go, okay, that's it. We sort of draw a line under, that's the content, Pretty much. that's all the clay. Pretty much. So you're not then adding new stuff at the 11th hour and going, Christ, that bit's not ready. Not really. No. Not really, no. It will all be, and when I sit down in my little, you know, study thing, I will just work, work on that and just keep f improving that existing stuff. I probably will pretty much draw a line under it and won't add anything mm -hmm. new, a new chunk, no. Sure. So when you go on stage for these, uh, the preview gigs, the smaller room gigs, mm. how do you remember the stuff? Do you take notes on with you? Do you, is it no. just that, it's that much in your mind because you've poured over it such yeah. a long time? Yeah, I'll, I'll, know, I'll know it. I will rehearse it in the car on the way or whatever. I'll rehearse it enough that I know it. Okay. So by rehearse it, you mean either in the car or I mean, do you have a pace around the I walk the room? around, I go for walks, I'll go walking the cliff paths in Wales and stuff and I'll go on a three hour walk and that'll be roughly enough to do two hours of stuff because it's pretty shit boring <laughs> so boring wandering a cliff path going through your own stuff it's, uh, <laughs> it's a really boring part of the process I, think. I mean you do as you're walking you do rearrange you think oh hang on a minute that could sure. move that. so I'll usually record those okay. things so I'll, rec I'll record those I'll say right okay you know note to self move, <laughs> move that section about the lollipop stick behind the elephant you know whatever it is and okay. you know that can work there that can work finding little connections then little it's, it does. It is a useful process apart from rehearsing as well. Sure. I mean, I always feel like such a lemon standing in my house trying to say stuff to no one. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, it's a really valuable process, and it's some of the best. Oh, writing you do do I've it out loud. I do. Yeah, I, do, I sometimes <laughs> do that. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I will remember you laughing you me in years to come. Well, uh, you do feel like a dick. Not a hairbrush, yeah? It's a, no, I don't have a hairbrush. But <laughs> I do. Make it. I do hold my hand. I mime a microphone. Do you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. I've never done I, it out loud. Never. Actually, you I tell a lie. Cliff I tell a lie. to a recorder. That's I, as weird. I, no, it's only a little note, though. It's only a little <laughs> note. I don't stand on the cliff like that, like bloody David Asloff. <laughs> 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 Launching it into the sea. I don't. I, I tell a lie. I have I have put a, a camcorder up in my bedroom once. Okay, that's not what you think. And um, uh, and done the whole show for timing purposes. I have I, I did that with the mince pie and with the Nicholas Lindhurst show because I was writing them for Edinburgh, and you've got to try and write an hour, haven't you? Which is I mean, in, do you know what I mean? With quite hard to before you actually try it out a few times. It's quite hard to think. Oh yeah, that's about an hour. Sure. You know, uh, and so I, I have videoed it a couple of times just for sort of timing purposes. Okay. I don't think I've ever mic mimed the microphone though. I can't. I can't just walk around my house doing it without. <laughs> weird. Yeah, that's Feels just weird. weird that is, yeah. <laughs> um, so, do you find the uh, you're talking about rearranging, moving things like yeah. this, the structures? Your shows are always phenomenally well structured. That's why I think of the you know the, the power and the care in the writing. That comes later. That uh, once I've got that massive lump of clay and I've drawn a line under it, and I'm going out to clubs and I'm starting to hone it and things like that, I'll probably get the routines in a pr in pretty good shape. Each mm -hmm. each and every sort of routine in fairly good shape, and then. I'll start thinking about a store, different stories that I can overlay on this. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say that the details of the story are often fairly spurious, taken with a pinch of salt. Sure. But because it, those are really sort of the story comes after where I go, I've got all of these different things. What, what story can I tell? Using these with, things. With these. Okay. That is a sort of, sort of true, mm -hmm. holds true to the sort of emotional, yeah. you know, 
tableau yeah. thing beneath it. But, but, you know, I don't really mind about the details of the story especially. Sure. And in those details, I mean, you're, one of the things you really excel at is those structural, you know, the callbacks. Like mm. in the last five or ten minutes of a Rod Gilbert show, everything will come together in completely unique and surprising ways that make sense of everything that's gone before. I mean, more, yeah. more so, I think, than anyone else's. You, you really kind Probably of Probably more than anyone else's. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that. That bit goes that. And this yeah. guy who we'd forgotten about from there, that made sense there yeah. and, and, yeah. and stuff. The last show, the Nicholas Linders, was that was especially true. I went, yes. a bit, I went a bit mental on that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I went, <laughs> this one, this show now isn't, isn't... It's still a bit like that. It is still a bit like that, but it's not as much. Sure. But yes, I, I try and tell a story. It's generally in sort of three acts. Uh, and generally everything sort of ties up and makes sense at the end, even things that you halfway through you might be going, what's he on, what's he on about that bit for, you know, yeah. So in, in terms of the, the, the structure of the different bits, what kind of instincts are informing the, the, uh, the way in which you organise it? Like, are you going, okay, that bit is definitely the funniest bit, so it has to go at the end. Does that ever come in, or is it just a case of all of these things work and the story's the most, like, the arc is the most important thing? Um, uh, both. I think those both valid things I'll still, uh, I'll try not to compromise one, you know. I, I would, um, I'd hope that all of it is strong enough to finish on, okay. pretty much. There will inevitably be bits that go better or, or feel, feel a bit stronger than others, but I'll, I'll, I'll try not to compromise either, you know. I'll try, I, I don't want to be in a position where I'm going, oh, well, that's the best story, but now I've finished on a, it's not the best finish. And, you know, I'll go, right, well, if that's the best story, then... We get a bloody good finish. We don't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't. But if so, I, I try not to compromise either of those things. I think. Sure. I wouldn't be happy to go. Well, well the story's right. So it doesn't matter if I'm not finishing on the strong stuff, or I'm finishing on the best stuff. It doesn't matter if the story doesn't come off. I'll, sure. I will find a way of making that bloody yeah. work. So we get both. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're. I mean, you're. What's coming across here, I think, a lot is your your work ethic is such that you're not satisfied until it's. I mean, you've got very very high quality control. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I would like to think so. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what other people are, are like, but um, yeah, I think I probably have, you know. And do you? Did you ever? Did you ever train? Did you ever do a course? Did you do? Any I went. Of the, to, I started by doing a, the Amuse Moves comedy course, okay. which was a life changer for me. Okay. You know. And at the time, you what was your regular job when you went on? To I do was. The... Um, I was a director of a market research company in Soho in London. Okay. Uh, so it was, it was a good job, you know, it was a good proper career job, I've been doing it for eight years, you know, I was happy, it was all good. Um, but I, this is sort of fairly well documented, I was sure. nagged by a girlfriend, nagged okay. and nagged and nagged for eight years uh, to do something, some kind of comedy, and it, but it would never in a million years have occurred to me, I had no ambition to do it, no interest sure. in doing it, not even cross my mind ever. I just, I just wonder if there's a parallel between like yourself and say Jimmy Carr and John Bishop who kind of came to comedy later from the perspective of having a real I job. I think you definitely, if it, yeah I reckon you could link that to that work ethic thing, yeah. Sure. Probably. Yeah. Sure. So I think I'd have found it, I think I did bring a a certain level of perhaps even though I've never got up in the morning to do it I did probably bring a discipline and a, and a work ethic yeah how do you find comedy as a human being do you find it the lifestyle of it do you find it isolating do you find it difficult do you find it like running around in a playground what's what how do you come to it? uh well it's totally changed for me you know in that in that when you start out not just when you start out, when you do the circuit, you know, you are, it's a, it's a, 
a sort of little bit lonely job in uh, some of the long drives and things like that. But generally, it's a fairly sociable job because there's a few mm-hmm. of you on the bill. There's a few of you share the the journey. You share the you know the the green room, and then you you know and you share the pleasures and frustrations of the gig, and you drive home together. So it's quite a it's a going going from having a bloody office, sixty hour a week office job as a director, going into suddenly your day because when I I did both for a while. Yeah. You know, and then gave up the day job 18 months after I started doing comedy, yeah. went full time, and that was just the best day of my life. It was like, can you imagine just going from, from working really hard in a really stressful job to suddenly don't need to get up for anything and every few days just jump in a car with some fun people, drive to a gig somewhere, do a gig and drive home. If you weren't driving, get pissed. You know, <laughs> just what a life! It was absolute. Just oh my god! And this can be like this is you get paid for this. Yeah, hilarious. You know, and and um, but now it's totally different. Now I have my team around me. I've got my driver, my tour manager, my agent, um, Andrew Bird at the back there. If, if I've got a support act, he supported me on tour before. Okay. Then we've got a support act and. No, I haven't even got a support act in. So that's my community. That's it. And we okay. stay in hotels every night and I'm away from home most of the time. It's a totally different life. And how enjoyable is that part of it in terms of, like, the gig? I mean, presumably you're mostly doing it... Like, what, what drives you to do it? Is it the gig? Is it the, the roar of the crowd? Is it the, the expressing yourself on stage? Is it... I don't know. Okay. I don't... I don't... I don't know. Um... I'd have to take it away for me to know what I missed, I think. Okay. I, d- I don't quite know. I, um, I've always been somebody who kind of works, uh, works quite hard, I think, and um, maybe I just need to be doing something. It's certainly a way of keeping yeah. really busy, isn't it? it yeah, it keep, it, I, I need to be kept busy. I need to be distracted the whole time doing stuff, and uh, this definitely is something, comedy, that you can really pile... I mean, if you're not careful, you can just pile too much of your sure. energy and emotional resources into it, you know, because it just takes... It can, it can take up almost every bit of your brain space. Yeah. I think the entire, the entire hard drive is thinking about comedy, and that's a real danger, I think. Yes. But I think it's capable of that. You meet... And you know that yourself. You meet comedians who are a lot of them just obsessed <laughs> and have no other thought than... About than comedy, you know. And do you? I mean, do you think you're you've got quite a stable approach to it in terms of those people that we all know who are who think about it too much? Where do you put yourself? On I that think I probably think situation? too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not the worst, but I uh, de- it definitely. You know, you can very easily get me onto comedy. I'll happily sit there talking to you about comedy until, you know, <laughs> one of us dies. Until one of us yeah. dies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah. You know, and I think for people around you, that can be. Tedious, can it? I think I. You know. <laughs> can it? <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, Why are you here? <laughs> I, I think I, when I kind of discovered comedy, that was certainly a part of uh, my. I didn't think I even knew it at the time, but it, part of me, I think, was going, ah, oh, relief, this is a thing I can completely devote myself to. This is, it was almost, in, in many ways, I was using it as, as a crutch as well as a vehicle and all sorts of, you know, met several crutches. I can always be thinking about it. I can always be, even if I'm in any environment, I can always be thinking about a joke or thinking about yeah. a routine. And I wonder now how healthy that approach yes. is when you say you need to be kept busy. Yeah. It consumes your brain like a cancer. I, I realise that's not the most positive way of looking at it. <laughs> but it, it's certainly but you know the clip I mean? I'll be it's using sort of, to advertise it, this. It, 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 yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what it does. If you're involved in comedy and you and you, and you write and, you, and creative like that, I think I think that is what it's like. I mean, my 
sort of girlfriend who used to um, used to be one of those people who finds it tedious, you know. Mm. And um, this is not the girlfriend that pushed me into comedy. This is another mm. one, different one, because the one that pushed me into comedy left after I got into comedy, ironically. Because <laughs> uh, she didn't like the lifestyle. Knocking <laughs> 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 me for eight years, you idiot. Um, uh, the newer one. <laughs> Uh, the more recent girlfriend. Uh, she, you know, will, is one of those people, I can see her eyes glazing over, I can see her getting frustrated, I can see her just willing me to talk about something else, you mm. know, over dinner. Please stop talking about your mm. fucking set or whatever it is. Um, now she's a comedy writer and she's absolutely every bit as bad as, yeah. you know, I can see her every, over dinner, jotting down an idea here. That, you know, it's, it just it consumes your brain, I think. I've been with my girlfriend for nearly two years and I'm very pleased to report she recently did an open spot. <laughs> <laughs> she, she did a minute. She did a minute in a shed at Latitude Festival with six people in it. And, you take, and I was doing a seven-minute set and I said, now, please welcome, doing a minute. And then uh, <laughs> introduced her. And I said to her afterwards, how was it? And she said, well, I had them and then I lost them. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. But it is, it's infectious. It, my, it's, 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 it really does. Cause, but, I, but I think that, uh, I think for pe a lot of us, that's a good, that we need that, you know, we need yeah. that something that just takes over every bit of your brain space. So when just inflates in your brain. When right? we're talking about that need and you're saying you need to be kept busy, or what? What, what happens if you don't? Do you... Uh, a nervous breakdown, I imagine. Okay. You know, some kind of mental collapse. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't I know. I have to, I have a, when I worked in my old office job, I used to work like a, you know, bastard. I was, you know, I really... I mean, is that workaholism? Really, yes. Is that what you're yes, talking about? Yes. Yeah. And is yeah. that... I mean, is it... The thing I think in this my... is going to be therapy now. In my head, well, I'm just, I'm interested. Just to I, get away from abusive childhood. <laughs> a, a lot of people are going to be listening to this podcast whilst driving t for three hours right. to get to a gig unpaid for no money. So they'll be very pleased to hear that you're... Keep your eyes on the road, that's my advice. <laughs> <laughs> Look out! Oh, <laughs> oh, Jesus, I'm going to have to put a disclaimer at the beginning of this now. <laughs> <laughs> Stop trying to kill my listenership. Um, oh, it'd be fucking great if it did die a couple, though, wouldn't it? A couple of them. <laughs> we, we it would couple, certainly take the pressure off the open spots. a couple circuit. of open spots. <laughs> Who's going to miss a couple of open spots? <laughs> That's the other quote I'll Joking. be using. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem that I, that I always sort of felt I had was if I was using it. I kind of use comedy to fill in all the gaps in my life so that I don't get anxious and wig out because I'm not busy enough and I, mm. and I freak out. But obviously, that's not that healthy either. And I do wonder if I keep working at this rate, is that, are you on a path to an entirely different mental breakdown of some sort? I mean, are you, you now have sufficient, presumably... Well, I don't know, because I, well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of giving this up and going to teach, to be honest. Are you? Yeah, which might be a bit of a revelation at this point. Yeah, it might. Um, but you know, so I, I, don't, I don't know. I think there's. A, I think you can get out of it. You know, I think you can. I think it's we can escape this thing. But I, you know, I know that if I go and teach, I'd be just as obsessive about that and work just yeah. as workaholic and throw myself into that. You know. Yeah, you need to find something you can be really healthily workaholic at, like mm. charity yeah. or something. Yeah. Well, I think teaching is probably that. What would you teach? Uh, primary school. Okay. Yeah, I did a, a TV... Jesus, everyone just imagined you being their primary school teacher. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I, do, I, did a, I do a programme um, called uh, Rod Gilbert's Work Experience, yes. a TV show, um, and uh, where I just try somebody's job for a couple of days, literally two or three days, very low budget, small, mm -hmm. uh, sort of uh, Welsh production. And 
I tried a primary school teaching and just fell in love with it totally to the point where I thought uh, maybe there's a change of career coming up, you know. A little backup plan there. Yeah, yeah. maybe, yeah. Well, I don't have a backup plan so much. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this you need work something out. to fall back on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Get a trade. Get a trade. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, but no, but just a, just a new challenge, I think. A new thing. You know, yes. like comment, 10 years ago, this was a, the comedy was the new, totally new challenge after eight years in market research. Sure. So maybe now it's... No, that's this, it. is the, this is my longest ever job where I get comedy now, which is weird. Yeah, yeah same here. I mean, it's the, it's a, I've only been going seven years. It's the longest I've stuck to anything. Yeah. I wonder how much we will see that happen in other comics and in the comedy industry generally because they, I, I definitely uh, uh, empathise with that feeling that, hey, this is my thing now. I've got a thing. Fantastic. And up until now, I'd always changed kind of direction every three years. I got into street mm. performing and then a bit of acting and then something else and then something else. And the running joke with my mates is that, oh, any minute now, ventriloquism. You know, just <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's like the same but slightly different. Yeah. And there is something to be said, I think, for, uh, for grabbing hold of a thing, getting your teeth into it and going, great. And then... I mean, is there a plateau point? You know, I mean, do you kind of... I don't think done... it's a plateau point. I think it's different. I think for me, it was... In um, terms of learning, I mean, rather than success, you know. Yeah. No, God, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think I've, this year I've, uh, is, I've moved on again from what I've been doing for the last few years. I've totally moved on, realised something about myself. It's really all really kind of exciting that I've realised that I'm not just a character on stage and I'm, what I'm doing is yes. actually me. And I it's, am finally admitting that I'm this petty, contrary person. And that has actually been quite therapeutic. It's and a very different of, uh, show this year as well, isn't it? It it's, has... it's, 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 it's a... In part, yeah, in a way, in a way. I mean, it's still, there's still lots of ranting and raving in it, mm. but it is... Um, it has a, a, a different richness, maybe, or a different texture to it. It's got, it's got it, a different texture to it, I think, yeah, because it's finally me going, this is, this is re really what I'm like, and I'm telling mm -hmm. you, I really am like this. Um, and that's, it's been kind of therapeutic, you know, that mm. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to terms with who I am and what I am. You know, I am uh, this this sort of I call it a dark shadow of my soul. I have argued with everyone all my life, all my life. The person you see on stage arguing with the shop assistant or his girlfriend or whatever—that is exactly what I'm like. It might not have been about a fucking baked potato that I was <laughs> arguing about, or a toothbrush or whatever, uh, you know, or a luggage handle. But it, I have those arguments about nothing, and I will never give up. And I will argue, and I'm forensic in my kind of. Uh, arguing, which is yeah. what my stand-up is like. I mean, it's exactly me up there. But I've only just realised that this year. So I, I'm at the, probably the most exciting point in my stand-up thing at the moment. It's like, Christ, well, where do I go from here? And I'm going to start looking at why I'm like this. Yes. You know, and start exploring that and doing comedy about that in a much more serious way, perhaps, in future. But equally, I'm also thinking, I might try primary school teaching. Because all yes. I, I want to do is make people laugh. And I enjoyed making kids laugh and teaching them and feeling like I was teaching them and making them laugh. I enjoyed that. Sure more than I enjoy making an audience. You know, there, sure. it was, it was a, an equally good, better feeling, whatever, because it was... You almost might... So I, it doesn't bother me whether it's what that environment is. I've, I, all my life, I've only, there's only one certainty ever been there, and that's that I like making people laugh. I can remember from the youngest possibly, I can mm -hmm. remember a girl saying to me when she, I was about six, in a, this little Welsh girl on the street corner, just going, you're funny, you are. You know, she was about seven or so, and I was yeah. six, and I remember thinking, God, that's a great feeling. Yeah. And I've always loved doing that. It's the only thing I've ever been really certain of. It's, but I'd be happy to do that in a classroom, you know, with kids, and, and I'm teaching them, you know. I wonder if it might... If it might... Well, I'm teaching them first, and then making them laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worst primary teacher ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
but I wonder if, because the, the autobiographical nature of your shows and because the, the revealing of yourself that you do in your show, it's almost as if you're... You, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I've got to find a non-awful way of saying this, like non-pretentious. But it sounds as if, by being honest and dealing with your problems on stage, are you, have you dealt with something that enables you to stop necessarily having to do comedy? Do you see what I mean? What, the therapy's well, yeah, it's all like, done. It, it's you, all done. It might, have, it, might gonna, have, yeah. it might have done a bit of therapy to you that you go, oh, actually, rather than giving up comedy, I've completed it. Yeah, I've done I'm what gonna, I uh, needed. Sign myself out of the asylum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be nice to know that was an option uh, one day. I, 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 think, I think there's, uh, like I said, I'm in, a, I'm in a place now where I'm going, this is really exciting. Yeah. And I'm starting, through on stage, I'm starting to kind of psychoanalyze myself and this sure. is therapeutic and I've started to accept who I am and stuff and I don't know where that's going to take me next so it is exciting but I guess there's a point where you just go yeah this is what an amazing journey that would have been to have started out 10 years ago not knowing there's anything kind of wrong with you <laughs> or, or didn't, knowing it but denying it stoically denying it resolutely all the time sure. and then 12 years later giving up stand-up comedy having Worked, you know, realised all this stuff about yourself and cured yourself. Yeah, I mean, that would be a lovely, uh, that'd be a nice career. That I thought you were going to say that'd be a great show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There's obviously, yeah, there's obviously yeah. the show after that. Yeah, sure. So um, we've uh, we've not got long left. Uh, we will have time for some questions from the audience. If anyone would like to ask Rod anything via me, just for the sake of the recording. Uh, there is a gentleman over here. You can look at him, obviously. Sorry. But I'll just need to repeat it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> what did he say, oh, Stu? Yeah. Were you... Well, what, <laughs> what he said, Ros, I'll try and uh, condense it. Were you scared about? to leave your job? No, uh, not, not remotely. All the way through that question, I was waiting for you to finish because, uh, well, a, a courtesy and B, it's a podcast, you need to go record the question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, not at all, not remotely. I've had, people say that people have said that to me. Well, that was a brave move, giving up the job. And and I don't know. Maybe for another person, it would have felt brave. To be honest, I was. Um, it was a good job, and but I'm. Uh, you know, I was fairly careful about it. I I started gigging. I gigged for sort of two or three times a week alongside this uh, job that I was doing, and then after about, I think after about a year, I'd, I'd won BBC Comedy Awards and a Paramount competition or the Leicester Comedy Festival and there was about five sort of quite big national competitions and I was earning reasonable money from the comedy. Um, nowhere near what I was earning in my job, but I, it, was, it was pretty obvious looking at people around me that, that, that I could kind of make, make this work and I, and I wanted to mm. do this full time and that I could live like that, you know. So it didn't. It didn't feel in any way whatsoever. There wasn't one percent of me going, <gasps> you know, not at all. Not absolutely not at all. But I think, you know, I, I'd sort of had I given up six months earlier. There, there could have been a point where it would have been a real gamble and a ballsy thing. But it wasn't at that point. No. Yeah. So if there's any other newer comics listening to this, uh, and you're scared about leaving your day job, wait until you've won every single major national <laughs> competition. That's when you know it's. No, there was just enough. uh, There was enough uh, sort of evidence there for me to go. You know, look, this is going to be all right. You know, this is. This is. I think those things, those competitions, just gave me that confidence. You know, to just go. I can. I can see people who a few years ago were winning those competitions and where they are now. And I could look at, it gave you a, a sort of a thing to look at and go, a measure, you know, a measuring stick to look Somewhat at. Somewhat that's reminded me of another thing that might now be uh, a myth and you can duly explain. <laughs> uh, is someone said uh, when you won, 
I can't remember which of the competitions it was, but when you won one of those competitions, someone said that you'd said to them, the, pl the plan was you wanted to be, you set yourself a target. If within a year, you wanted to be headlining every major venue in the country. Is that nonsense as well? Absolute rubbish. Oh, I love it. I love it. This is completely changing the way I yeah, look yeah. at all stories on the circuit. Uh, yeah, now. yeah. Okay. I, th I think all stories on the circuit are probably either, yeah. either the wrong, you know, the story is wrong or the person in them is wrong. I hope the, I hope the Jimbo story is right. Or both. <laughs> you know the Jimbo story about turning up in the... We'll do it later. No, I don't um, know the Jimbo... There's loads of Jimbo stories. Yeah. They're probably true, though. Very interesting question. Do you see, do you see doing TV as, as uh, coasting? Is it, uh, is it a different skill? Is it an easier skill to doing stand-up in clubs or uh, theatre? Do you mean... Um, I'm not quite sure what, what, you, what, you, what you mean. Do you mean you talk about doing stand-up sets on television? No, no, game, the game shows. Other, other, other panel oh, shows and yeah. things like that. Um, coasting, by that you mean uh, easy? Easier, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> no. No. No, absolutely not. Uh, I think panel shows are a very tough environment, some tougher than others for various reasons, but mm. uh, absolutely not. I mean, I don't do most of them, to be honest, because I, I don't do Mock the Week... I don't do eight out of ten cats anymore. I don't do uh, League of Their Own. I don't do the only ones I do. Are, have I got news for you? I'll host that. I host Buzzcocks. That's it, I think. Oh, would I lie to you? I do mm -hmm. as well. I really, I really enjoy that one. Sorry, my own one. That's been axed. I'm announcing it now. All oh, right. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's why I sort of sniggered when you said you ask Rod anything. I thought, oh, the show's back. Great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they've uh, they, they, they've oh, canned that. No. You know, they've canned that. It's very. It's, I, th I think it's, I think the panel shows are really hard, and some of them are, are brutal uh, experiences. You know, you've, you feel like you've been sodomized after them. Yeah. Have you had ones where you've thought, where as as a guest, as a panelist, you've you've thought? Nailed it, or has it always been? But difficult? I, 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 thing I, I, even, when, even when you think that, you know, you you you're not in the edit, you know. So yeah. you, uh, if you, if you, it's very if you do nail something and you sort of, you know, you hold court and you move everything, then the editing process will probably not reflect that because they want to show everyone in a fairly good light, which I think is a, a sort of pretty admirable sure. editing editorial practice, you know. But um, and it, you know, and it, I don't know. It just I I'm not as no, I don't. Definitely not. I don't, definitely don't see them as coasting. If you, you know, when I did something like Mock the Week, I haven't done it for years because I, I don't like it. Um, it's not for me. I don't write topical stuff. I don't especially like the environment or whatever. You know. Um, but if you get eighty pages of notes, two, two or three days before a show, and you've got to try and write gags about things you're not especially bothered about, uh, and just <laughs> it's, it's enough stuff to just wade through the notes that they're giving you without trying to write sort of top-notch material on all that stuff. You know what I mean? It's coasting, my God, no. My God, no, absolutely not. It's panic stations, Yeah, I think, for a lot of them. Would I lie to you? That's lovely, because you just turn up and, you know, there's no preparation. You just uh, turn up and... Well, the first time you get that lie, you know, that's the first time you see it. You open it up and it says, you know, well, the one I had most recently was, you know, you were, were, uh, you were sacked from a zoo for putting hats on animals. You know, that, that's the first time you've read it. <laughs> when, you, when you open that there, that's the first time you've read it. And that's, that's fun. That's kind of coasting, you know, yeah. But um, mm. no, I don't see the panel shows as coasting, no. Who are your comedic uh, influences? I don't know that I've got, I don't really know that I've got any, to be honest. I mean, I, I grew up, like I said, I was nagged uh, into comedy for eight years by this uh, girlfriend that I had. The reason she was nagging is because I had no interest in comedy whatsoever. I'd never been to a, I, was, I went to a comedy club at, I think I was 27 when I first went to a comedy club. I'd never, 
And I, well, she took me to see Eddie Izzard uh, when I was 27. It was the first comedy gig I'd ever been in. I'd never had any comedy DVDs. I'd never heard, of, still haven't heard a Billy Connolly routine. Um, and uh, never heard of Bill Hicks till I was in my th mid-30s. Sure. Um, and uh, so she took me along to this Eddie Izzard gig and I absolutely loved it. But it was another six years before I even thought about doing stand-up myself. So when, you, uh, when you did start doing stand-up... I don't know, Eddie Izzard would be, I guess, if I had anyone, but... When, when you started doing stand-up, when you were on the circuit in the early mm. days, which uh, other acts, which of your contemporaries did you find particularly exciting or inspiring? Uh, well, I was on that comedy course with Greg Davis, who, yes. you know, since become big pals and uh, always loved his stuff. He always made me laugh. Um, but around that time, you know, there was Paul Foote was doing his uh, madcap stuff that he's mm -hmm. still doing. You know, he was knocking around. He'd been knocking around for years. I, I loved watching him. There was, at the time, my, my generation was Mark Watson, uh, Nina Conti, a guy called Matthew Osborne, who picked up yes. a, a couple of the big awards and then yes. sort of disappeared. Yes, he's doing but, a play up here. At the is moment. he? Oh, there yeah, we yeah. are. No, he hasn't disappeared. He's in town. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but it was the yeah. There were there were you know we were. It's, it's very nice when you start out in comedy because you do have that your generation. You have your year, your intake. Yeah. You know your sort of academic year, and you you know you've got those people, and we're still. You know, and then you do your first Edinburgh shows with those people and, you know, collaborations. And then it's still, I mean, me and Greg are looking at a new, new TV series for Greg and I next year, mm -hmm. uh, which is really exciting, you know, and we met on that course. What's your experience of touring like, uh, travelling uh, around the place? Do you get a lot of downtime when you're not on stage? Uh, you do, you, yeah, you do get a lot of downtime in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm on stage. I, I sort of turn up at a gig at uh, a couple of hours before the gig. I have to do quite a lot of... Uh, vocal exercises to keep my voice going when I'm on tour and um but you're only actually on stage for two or three hours uh and then it's kind of you just I me and my little team will wind down with a you know with a curry or some wine or something or whatever hotel will get to us but then you've got the next day pretty much off until 6 p.m but what you find is that um you've got so I find the adrenaline starts building from the moment I wake up and the adrenaline builds and builds and builds and builds until that night in the gig so I I, I know from my adrenaline levels, so I can tell you what time it is. You know, I, can, mm. I don't know otherwise. I just know how many hours away I am from a gig. It's like an instinct uh, thing. So you don't... I don't, I don't find that I can... I, 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 I'm always full of good intentions, and the same in Edinburgh. I want to go and see to a local museum, or I'll go for a walk, or I'll go, you know, I'll go to the beach. Wherever I am on tour, I'll kind of do stuff, something local. But I always find that I'm generally just sort of staring at a wall coping my own adrenaline levels really so I don't, I don't find I can do anything I'm too I'm, I'm just not I'm too in the zone you know what I mean my mind isn't sort of free enough to to go and relax and take in a museum or an art gallery which is what I'd like to do sure do you, do you yeah. find that adrenaline build up does that does that last a longer part of the day like does it start earlier depending on the size of the gig or the nature of the gig like if you if were doing if it's a, 20... a big TV gig or something and it yeah. starts months before you know yeah <laughs> you know I can feel a few of them building now and they're, they're, sure. week, they're weeks or months away, you know. Sure. Um, but uh, generally, the size of my venues are, they're all much of a muchness, you know. And so. you're, never, you're never writing during the days? You don't try and get any, like, other work done for a different project? Oh, I might, I might try and, I might try, I had, you know, I wrote the Ask Rod Gilbert series, the first series in the back of the tour van, you know. Okay. Um, but it wasn't easy, sort of, uh, sure. you know, it was, it was bloody hard work and... Uh, Lloyd Langford and I sat in the back. He was supporting me, so we just sat in the back of a, a van and, and wrote the whole series in the back there. But so, so I, I went, if I have to write on other things, then yes, I will, I will do that. But I don't like doing that. I like to clear the decks really. When I'm on tour, I like to just go. 
this is the payoff of a year's hard work writing and honing yeah. and now I just want to relax and do my tour show and, and ideally go out and shop and go to the cinema and go to the art galleries and stuff I try and do those things but I find it very hard to free my mind enough to relax enough to, to do those things mm -hmm. but that's how I want the tour to be I don't want to be bloody writing something another project in the day sure. I'm quite lazy in that respect well, I mean, or it's like, and that's what a sportsman would do, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, you know, you're going to put yourself through this two-hour yeah. thing. You know, you're entitled to spend the day in your tracks. That's what I want to do. Yeah, <laughs> I've, always, and I've always been like, I can remember when I supported Lee Mack in 2005. He was on, you know, one thing in the night, and I would sort of get up at one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and he was doing the main show. I was doing, doing 20 minutes before him, but I would sort of get up at one in the afternoon, and he would have been up and writing since half past eight, Mm -hmm. writing on his Radio 2 series at the time and I can remember thinking oh god that's horrible just writing all day <laughs> all day writing on that and then 6 o'clock showering and going to the gig you know I just mm. I, 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 can't, I can't do that well I can do it I did it with the Ashcroft Guild but I've done it with other things but I don't like doing it I want to be free in the day to mm. just let just just to have the adrenaline just to let that thing and it's the same with the Edinburgh Festival I find it very hard to go and see other shows and sure. concentrate you know sure uh, that's a, yeah that's a great well, question so how do you go how do you go from the two hours, sorry to repeat this again, how do you go from the two hour show that you're touring, what decisions do you make to, which bits do you keep, which bits do you remove for an Edinburgh yeah. hour? It was, it was two and a half hours, roughly, two and a quarter, two and a half hours, uh, trying to get it down to an hour. Um, well, there's bits of the story, that, that's why I started with that, I thought, what bits of the story do I have to, to keep? Um, so you put those down, and then you go, which... Uh, you know, it was just it was just a juggling thing of going which which routines are the you know the best ones in it. Some of the some of the the biggest routines had to come out um, because I just didn't want to condense them down. I didn't want to take a fifteen minute routine about something and condense it to three minutes. Three minutes. I mean, so rather thought, than yeah. do a bare bones version, you'd rather save it for the tour. Um, yeah, I save the tour. It just it was it was just a juggling act of going of and it did, did take me quite a while of going you know just going which which of these routines would I prefer to have in the show? They can both narratively do a job. You know, if I'm gonna, if I'm telling the story of how my girlfriend and I fell out on a particular day, we could have fallen out about that thing or that thing. Both of those narratively could work. Which one's stronger and which one, you know? Um, so I, I did it. I did it like that, really. But it was really hard, and I'm and I'm it was really a bit gutted to have to leave some things out. Um, there's a there's a big toothbrush thing that I did on Christmas Day, uh, which was a five minute routine on Christmas Day on the Michael McIntyre Comedy Roadshow that. Uh, on the tour is a 15-minute piece because they edited it right down for the Michael McIntyre thing. Okay. So I thought I'm gonna I'll do the whole thing and you know. And, but then I, in Edinburgh I dropped that out for the Edinburgh show. I did it the first night uh, here actually, and then in the next, I, I dropped it out since, mm -hmm. um, just because I thought well it has been on TV. So sure. if you're doing an hour condensed version, I don't really. I think on tour, if people come away going well, it was two and a half hours there, but I've seen a bit of it on TV. I don't, I don't think it matters, you know. I don't think they're gonna be that bothered. But if an hour version, if they've seen 10, 15 minutes of that, or, or they've yeah. seen a piece of that, a chunk of it, then so I didn't want to do that. So that that was the first thing that came out, but it certainly didn't come out on quality grounds. You know, I was a bit gutted after. Sure. Leave it out. But it was uh, some, some of the things in there. I don't know if you remember, there's a travelling chef bit in there. That was about 10, 15 minutes long as well. You know, that's now three minutes. Uh, and some things lend themselves... It's actually been quite an uh, you know, uh, uh, instructive process because I've actually realised a lot of it. That it doesn't need to be two and a half hours long. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of it benefits from being pithier and more economical and editing down, which I've kind of always known that economical is, you know, that less is more. But um, it's been... Yeah, it has been. So uh, when I go back on tour next week, I probably won't go back to two and a half. I'll probably try and keep it 
a bit more, about an hour and 45 or something, because I, th I think there are benefits to editing so it. So the lesson it's been a there, useful process. The lesson there is see Rod before August, if you really want to get <laughs> your money's worth. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we've got time for. Would you please join me in thanking Mr. Rod Gilbert? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank Thanks you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that was Rod. I really enjoyed that, and I think Rod gradually warmed to the idea. Uh, he said afterwards we could maybe do another session and add to it later on, but we, we haven't been able to fit that in so far with his national touring schedule and uh, and me with my stuff. Uh, we haven't quite got round to it. Hopefully we can come back to it another time, uh, or I can just turn up sometime at the primary school that he will maybe be working in by then. Um, so thank you very much to Rod. I really appreciate him doing that interview. Thanks to Misha Anker. As always, thanks to Dan Melrose and Graham Crockford. Uh, thanks to BBC Worldwide for their support. And the next episode is the final live one from last Edinburgh. It's the last one now uh, to chuck out from, from the last Fringe. And this one is the final show we recorded with Jim Jeffries. So I'll talk to you with that in a week. Bye-bye for now. Mm -hmm.